You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. It is good to see you. Thank you for those that be here that are here in the room. For those that are joining us online, glad you're with us as well. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to take them and turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Please, Ruth, chapter 3. We are concluding a series we began just a few weeks ago on the book of Ruth, Finding God in the Ordinary. Um, as you are turning, I want to uh, just let you know that next week we're going to begin a three-week series on, um, uh, the title is just Things I Learned in Sunday School, okay? Uh, actually, what we're doing is uh, we're going to look at three stories, three biblical stories that um, what I find as a pastor these days is I can't assume people know anything anymore. Um, it used to, you could reference something and people would go, oh yeah, I know that. Uh, so we're going to look at uh, Daniel and the lion's den, uh, Jonah and the whale, and David and Goliath. We're going to look at these stories and find out what they mean for our lives. And for some of you, it's going to be information you've heard, and it's going to be hopefully something that you can apply in a new way. For some of you, it may be brand new, but I promise you, when we talk about the Word of God, the Bible says that the Word of God will not return void. So next week, we'll begin that series on things we learned in Sunday school. Today, I'm going to finish the series talking about when you have to trust God's plan. When you have to trust God's plan. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 says this. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been, very, he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, then go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he is finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, for these next few moments, as we study your word, help us to allow your word to study us. I pray you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth, and anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them, so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Just as sort of a refresher, the book of Ruth is, contains a love story, but it's not a love story. It's all about the providence of God, God working things out even in moments when we cannot even understand them. It starts off with a man named Elimelech, whose name means, my God is king. And Elimelech is leading his home, but where they live, Bethlehem, is going through a drought and a famine. Now, it's interesting, Bethlehem means the house of bread. There's no bread in the house of bread. And so the man whose name means, my God is king, does not rely on God, but instead takes things into his own hand, moves his family, his wife Naomi, his sons Malon and Kilion, and they move to a place called Moab, a place that is a wicked place. The Bible tells us that Moab is a place God said, don't associate with them, don't live among them, don't do anything with them. Moab is the product, the descendants, of a child that is born from an incestuous relationship. If you remember the story at all, Sodom and Gomorrah of the Old Testament. Sodom and Gomorrah, the wickedness of God rises to them and God condemns, condemns them and obliterates the towns, saving Lot and his family, his two daughters. 
His two daughters who are raised in that wickedness don't believe God will provide for them and worry that they'll never find someone to have a, um, a meaningful relationship with, never find someone to have children with. So they set out with a plot. They get their father drunk. They sleep with him. And one of the children from one of the young the daughters' name is Moab. And his descendants are the Moabites. The Moabites are wicked. The Bible tells us that they were known for sacrificing their children to false gods. Literally killing their children to false gods. So Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, moves his family to a wicked place because of the fear that God won't provide him in the place of promise. And while he is there, Elimelech dies. Malon and Kilion die. Naomi finds herself as a widow with two daughters-in-law. Finds herself in a place where she has no rights. She's not a citizen there. That's not her home country. She has no place, no way to support them. It's this background that we just sort of look into. And we find out that as we read chapter 3 in the first few verses, Naomi tells Ruth, it's time to find a husband for you. It's time to find someone. And she says, there is a close relative, Boaz. He's a close relative. What that means is he's a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. You see, in the Bible, there is God provides for the poor people. God provides for those that are in desperate places. A kinsman redeemer is set up by God as someone who comes in and redeems a family. So if a young woman is widowed, in the Old Testament, it tells us that one of the brothers is supposed to come alongside, take her as an additional wife, have children, provide for her, and the children that were to come would be carrying on the line of his brother who has passed away. To take care of those present and to establish and keep the family lineage. That's what a kinsman redeemer is. In essence, a kinsman redeemer is one who rescues or delivers and also redeems property that has been lost. Because women in those days could not own property. And so the property would go with the dead person and someone had to redeem it. Someone had to purchase it. Someone had to bring it back in. This is the concept of a family of redeemer. A rescuer, a deliverer, and a redeemer. It's the story so far that we've seen. This is a typology. It's a real story. It's a real it's something that actually happened, but it's also a typology of how God moves in our lives. You see, what the, what the Bible wants us to see is this, is that first of all, God rescues us from our sorrow, our place of sorrow. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law get ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. This is another way. God is providing for the poor. 
God told people who owned their property, go through, harvest them, but don't go back through. Don't go back through and repick the grains. And the corners are to be left so that the poor can come to the edge and they'll be provided for as well. This is in essence where Naomi, whose husband owned land, but she has no access to it, and Ruth find themselves. They are poor, they are beggars, they are paupers. It goes on and says, so Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Naomi and Ruth have endured unimaginable pain. They are both widows. They're both without resources. And they're both needing someone to take care of them in a place that was far from God in Moab. And so the first step that they take is they made a decision to leave Moab and come back to the land of promise to the God who made the promise. The first step they took towards redeeming the sorrow was going back to the place God had called for his people to be home, Israel and Bethlehem. And can I just tell you something? Life is going to bring you sorrow at some point. I know that's not what you wanted to hear. And we don't have bumper stickers and stickers for you to take home that says that. Nobody wants to hear that. But life is full of sorrow. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Life is filled with sorrow. And the one thing about sorrow is this. The one thing about crisis is you can never stay in the same place when crisis hits. You will either run to God or you will run from God. You have a decision to make. You will never be static in crisis. You will never be static in sorrow. You will never remain the same. You will run to God or from God. And though they had lived for a long time in Moab, the first thing they did, the best thing they did, was they began to take steps going back to the God they knew was their provider and their hope and their redeemer. When sorrow hits, you have a decision to make. Do I run to God or do I run from God? God rescues us from our place of sorrow. The second thing to just sum up where we've been is that God delivers us from our place of suffering. In chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, So Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth then responds, thanking him. And Boaz then blesses her in verse 12 and says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. She's a Moabite. She has abandoned all the ways of her past. She's abandoned the people and the place of wickedness. And she's come back with Naomi. And she said, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. But after they arrive in Bethlehem, I want you to notice something. They're still widowed. They're still without resources. And they're still in need of someone who's going to take care of them because they can't take care of themselves. It is a place of suffering. They've made a step, but they're still 
suffering. No one wants to suffer. If I had a sign-up table in the atrium for people that says, oh yeah, sign me up for suffering, no one would go. But there's something about suffering that puts us in a place where the only source for the healing of our pain, whether it's physical, spiritual, or emotional, is God. There's something about suffering that when you do suffer, you realize you don't have enough strength, you don't have enough power, you don't have enough wisdom, you don't have enough in you to fix the problem. And you have to bring it to the only one who can, the one who can redeem it. And God knows how to redeem pain. There is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no difficulty that God can't redeem. God knows how to take your worst moments and turn them around and bring you into a place where not only he brings you from the suffering, he takes you to a different place, a place that he can use you and use the rest of your life. The third thing I want you to see is where I want to spend the bulk of our time is this. Is that God redeems us to our place of significance. Even though you find yourself in sorrow, in suffering, it doesn't mean there's not a significant place. Because here's what we think. I'm too far gone. There's nothing I can do. This thing has overwhelmed me, and I've missed it. I've missed what God wants to do with my life. Here's what it says in verses seven through nine of chapter three. So remember, she gave her instructions in the first six verses. She said, I want you to go. I want you to go take a bath, put on perfume, put on new clothes, and wait till Boaz gets here, and here's what I want you to go and do. And so verses seven through nine describes her obedience to what Naomi has said. It says, after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. And Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, this is a strange portion of Scripture. Because we don't understand culture. We don't understand what they do and how they do things. I understand that. Essentially, in essence... Ruth has come to Boaz and proposed marriage. She said, I want you to marry me. I want you to take me in. I want you to be my family redeemer. I want you to take all that was lost and broken, and I want you to take me, and I want you to redeem me. You're my family kinsman redeemer. She comes to him in the night when nobody can see, without a show, without anybody watching, and says, I am in need of redeeming. She literally takes her life into her hands. She goes to Boaz in the middle of the night. She has no guarantee. There's no guarantee that Boaz is going to treat her properly, that he's going to redeem. There's no guarantee for her safety. She just goes and says, I will believe 
and ask him to redeem them. She simply trusts that he will make a way. This is a picture of what Jesus Christ does for us. We come to Jesus, not with some show, not with some lights, not in front of all these people so they can see everything. We come to Jesus with nothing, nothing but our sorrow, nothing but our suffering. We have nothing to offer Jesus in that moment. And Jesus redeems us. Redeems literally means to purchase that Jesus purchases, purchased us, that literally what he does is the price that was paid for your wholeness, the price that was paid for your redemption, that was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross when he gave his life for your sins and my sins. That's why Isaiah 53 says that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that the punishment that we might have peace with God was placed upon him, and by his stripes were healed. The magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross is almost too difficult to comprehend. He paid the price for our sin, which is death. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus paid that price for us. He died on a cross for our sins. He took our punishment so that now we could have peace with God the Father. He literally rose from the grave so we could have a brand new life, not handcuffed and shackled by our past, but have a new life based on what he has done for us. He took our suffering on the cross and gave us wholeness, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And we brought nothing to the table. Ruth brings nothing to the table. The property that he will eventually redeem isn't even Ruth's. It is the husband of Naomi, Elimelech's. But she goes and says, I want you to redeem me. She brings nothing to the table, y'all. There's nothing. It's not like she comes and says, you know what? I've had your eye and you've had my eye for quite some time. I've got these strengths, you've got these strengths. I'm pretty good in the areas you're weak. You're pretty good in the areas I'm weak. You've got this net worth, I've got this net worth. We can be a power couple in the kingdom. She's got nothing. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me that is symbolic of saying in the way that people hide in the shadow of the most high that you will act like the Lord and redeem me with nothing to offer. And so Boaz says, I will, but there is a relative that is closer to Elimelech than I am. And he has the right, the first right to redeem you. But I will go to him tomorrow, first thing. I will go to him, and I will offer him that opportunity. And if he does, he'll marry you and take care of you. If not, he said, may the Lord deal with me if I don't do this and marry you myself. And the next day he goes, finds the man, and he says, hey, I don't know if you know this, you're the closest redeemer to Elimelech. Naomi and Ruth are back, and you have the right to purchase the property. And the man said, I love property. I'll purchase that property. I would love to expand my estate. And Boaz says, no problem. He said, but with that, you have the obligation to marry Ruth the Moabite from another country, from another area, and she is to be your wife so that he carries on the family lineage. And the man says, wait a minute, I didn't know there were strings attached. Because in essence, that property 
will remain in Elimelech's line. His children won't see it. It's the children of Ruth and by extension, Naomi. He thought he could expand his estate instead of fulfill the obligation. This is the difference between the way the world treats you and the way God treats you. The world wants to know, what can I get from you that will benefit me? God in heaven has laid aside everything so that he can redeem you and bring you to a place of significance that you have no right to have, but he gives it to you anyway. And so Boaz says, you don't want to? The man says, no, I can't. He said, that will mess up my estate. It'll mess up my family. And so Boaz says, then I'll do it. And here's where we find it in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 4. Boaz says to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You were all witnesses today. And then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give to you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Now, some of you will read this and you think right away, you just kind of go, of course God's going to use Boaz and Ruth. I mean, hand selected. He wouldn't use me, but he could use them, right? There's something in the blessing that's very strange, though. May God make you like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the descendants of Israel have descended. And may God give you descendants with Ruth the Moabite, that will be like Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. This is a blemish in Israel's history. Now, many of you think, Judah, of course, the tribe of Judah. Judah had a son who was married to Tamar. That son died. And so Judah said, stay here, remain a widow, and I will have my younger son, who's not quite old enough. When he gets old enough, he will marry you. He will be your kinsman redeemer. That son refused to do so. And when Tamar found out that he refused to do so and Judah did not make him do what was proper, she goes, takes off her widow's clothes, disguises herself as a prostitute, goes to Judah, solicits him, and Judah sleeps with her. And they have a son, and his name is Perez. Notice this. The wickedness that God said you should never associate with in Moab, that incestuous relationship, they said, may God give you descendants like the product of another incestuous relationship. What's the difference? Because one was brought to God. One was not. The same issue, one was brought to God, and God said, I can redeem it. I can bless it. God's not endorsing it here. 
He's not saying you should do like they did. What he's saying is this. He's saying that the things you think hold you back, God has already redeemed. Do you know that Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah? The enemy would love to convince some of you that you are too far gone to God to do anything with. Perez is the product of the same thing that Moab was. But God tells Ruth, he tells Boaz, he tells us that the, the things that's plagued Ruth's, the things that have plagued Ruth's family for generations are not any more different, they're not any more difficult than the things that God has already redeemed. And listen, some of you need to listen to me right now. Stop allowing the enemy to convince you that your past disqualifies you from God redeeming your life and your purpose for his glory. He has done it again and again and again. And if you will come to him sincerely, wholeheartedly, God can take your past and bring you to a place of significance. Verses 13 through 17. It says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. And Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David, who would be known as King David, whose son would be King Solomon from whom Jesus would be born through that lineage, through that line. After years of hardship, after countless nights of worrying, after probably innumerable prayers asking God, would he ever answer them? Suddenly, overnight, everything changes. A kinsman redeemer is a rescuer, a deliverer, a redeemer. Boaz is a foreshadowing of Jesus, our redeemer. It wasn't until later in the week that I thought, I think I've looked up everybody's name except Boaz. The kinsman redeemer. Boaz's name means swiftness or quickly. We've talked the last few weeks about how it's a reminder, even when we can't see it, even when we're in our suffering and our sorrow, God is working behind the scenes, meticulously getting things ready for us, even when we can't see them and even when we can't understand them. God is meticulously working things out in order to bring it to pass. Sometimes it seems like nothing is happening and God is working out every detail behind the scenes, but we are unaware that it's happening. But then there comes a day where there's a suddenly, a suddenly happens and God moves so quickly and with such swiftness, it literally makes our head spin. The things we've been praying for. Listen to me, one day Ruth one day she's gathering grain in a field she doesn't own, and the next day she owns it. You realize that? Suddenly, with swiftness, quickly. One day David is tending sheep. 
The next day, he is fighting and defeating a giant called Goliath. One day, Joshua is trying to convince the children of Israel to walk around Jericho just one more day, even though they were so tired of doing the same thing. And the very next day, those same walls of Jericho are coming down. One day, Mary is a young, obscure young woman who no one knows. The next day, she is pregnant with the Son of God. One day, Gideon is, is, is in a wine press, hiding out from the enemy. And the next day, he's leading an army to defeat that same enemy. One day the Israelites are against the Red Sea with the Egyptians behind them trying to annihilate them and wipe them out for good. The next day they're on the other side of the sea because the sea has parted and they've walked across on dry land and God has destroyed their enemies. One day they're looking back. That very next day they're looking back and remembering that on the other side when they were so afraid God said stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. One day Simon Peter is terrified at a storm in the boat. The next moment he is literally walking on top of the water with Jesus of the same waves that were giving him fear a few moments before them. One day Jesus is lying dead in a tomb and people thinking all hope is lost and the next day he is risen from the grave conquering death, hell, and the grave. One day when there are wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and everything looks like it's falling apart and everything looks like it is beyond redemption, one day the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You may be in the dark season of your night. You may be in suffering. You may be in sorrow. You may have prayed for years and years and years, but I'm telling you, there's a one day and there's a suddenly that comes and it changes everything. But I need you to notice the very first passage we read, Naomi said to Ruth, I need you to go get ready. And I need you to change clothes. I need you to take off the garments of being a widow. I need you to get prepared for the next season of your life. What is symbolic is, yes, she was telling Boaz, I'm ready to move forward. But more than that, I'm taking off what has defined me and my pain and my hurt. And now I'm coming to the Redeemer, the one who can save me. Today may be your one day, your suddenly, but you've got to be willing to take off of the garments that have defined you, that you think have caused you to be stuck, and come to Jesus, the Redeemer, with your whole life, Say, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't understand how it works. But I give it to you. And I trust you. And you can allow us suddenly in a one day to happen. But that only happens through surrender. And that only happens through Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're in this room right now and you came in this place and you know things weren't right between you and the Lord, the very first thing you have to surrender is your whole heart, your whole life to Jesus.
You bring nothing to the table your whole life. And if that's you, I just want you to simply pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what you have done for me and for the hope that you have given to me. Thank you that not only did you die for my sins, you rose from the grave so that I could have a new life. And I yield myself to you now. My whole life, I yield to your lordship. Be Lord of my life. Lead me through your word and through your spirit from this day forward, and I'll never be the same. I'm going to ask everyone in the room just to pray this prayer of profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around except the ministry team and me. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to call you out. I want to pray for you this week. But that's you. You say, when I came in this place, things weren't right between me and the Lord. But I've made a decision to follow him for the first time, for the first time in a long time. Pray for me this week, Pastor. That's you. Would you raise your hand really high and just keep it up just for a moment, please? God bless you. Amen. Just keep it up just a moment, please. Yep. God bless you. Yep. Amen. God bless you. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for changed lives. Hope that has been restored. I thank you that the weight of sin and shame is lifted off of their shoulders and that joy unspeakable, full of glory, is invading their hearts right now. Guide them every step of the way. Give them a sense of purpose as they leave here, knowing they are walking in the fullness of Christ. And God, in these next few moments, as we pray and believe together, I pray your Holy Spirit would be with us. I pray that you would speak to us, deliver us, rescue us, redeem us from our circumstances. In Christ's name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. We're going to worship. Our prayer team is coming. They're gonna be down front here. If you have a need, I wouldn't leave here unless you brought that to the Lord. The Lord who can redeem every circumstance, every situation is in this place. And I'm gonna invite you as we worship together, bring that need to him and watch what God can do. Let's pray together. Let's believe together right now.
Imagine the relief that Ruth felt the next day. Can you imagine the joy that Naomi felt the next day? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. It may sound silly, but I want you to picture in your mind 
the day after your suddenly comes, when it's the next day, I want you to picture it in your mind, and by faith, I want you to give God praise for it right now. Can you give him praise for it right now? Can I just tell you, it was a suddenly that took place in five people's lives today where their life went from darkness to light and gave their hearts to Jesus. For those of you that made that decision, we would love to help you in your walk with Jesus at the end of this service. The Grow Team's going to be down front. If you'll give us two minutes of your time, we'd love to help you get started in this walk with Jesus. If you would like some more information about Mount Perrin North, we would love to get you some information about getting plugged in, finding your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your passions, and the life groups that are available for you. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. You take that card, fill it out, drop it off at our connection point out in the atrium. We'd love to talk with you as well. And can I just say to all of the families of all of those who had people baptized today, congratulations. This is a great day. And man, we celebrate with you. And they're all special, but to my friend Jason, who got to baptize his daughter, there's nothing like it, my friend. Congratulations. Nothing like it. Allow me the privilege to bless you before you leave today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give a response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Have a lovely day. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.